Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. Today, we're talking about mentoring. Mentors. And if somebody asks you, because you're a successful guy, if somebody asked me, or probably you, how did you succeed? What are the keys? You know, I would say like, get to sleep by nine, you know, get oh, up by- I would by, not say that. <laughs> I really would. <laughs> I know actually. you would. I would say. <laughs> we, you and I are the opposite of that. I mean, I would say like these little tangible things, like yeah. be in the riding shed by seven, get them enough work done by 9.30, those guys. Really, those things are great. Yeah. But probably the truth is, when I sit down to actually analyze it, I can name the people who have spoken into my life, yep. and they're the reason I've not screwed up as yeah. much as I could yeah. have and accomplished some things. I mean, it really would be. In high school, it would be David Gentiles, who you and I both yeah. weirdly knew. Yeah, <laughs> before, before we he, knew each other. Yeah, before yeah. he passed away. You and I both knew David Gentiles before. That's so crazy to yeah. me. And then from David Gentiles, there was a guy named Greg Harris. He was a best-selling author, and his son, Josh Harris, mm-hmm. remember that book, I Kissed yep. Dating and Buy? Mm-hmm. Josh wrote that book. Since then, he has different views on dating, <laughs> yeah. so he hates being labeled like that. But Greg Harris mentored me as far as understanding business. I don't think yep. he knew he was doing it. He just owned a business, and he, yeah. he let me work for him. And then after that, there was a guy named John McMurray, who was yep. a Bible college professor. I lived with his family for a couple of years. And you move on to people like Bob Goff. I mean, how lucky was I yeah, to yeah. randomly run into Bob? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, guys now like Daniel Harkavy at Building Champions and Dave Ramsey, you know, is kind of a mentoring figure. It's yeah. sort of, we get together about once a month and just, we basically smoke cigars and tell stories. <laughs> but I learned through osmosis, yeah. mostly how to shoot guns. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you learn. And those kinds of things, it's people. Yeah. And we are just incredibly relational. And we, by osmosis, we absorb the character traits and values of other people, and they guide us. Would you say the same thing? I mean, can you go back and name when you really look at it, these are the people? 100%. Yeah. That's amazing. Totally. There are people that I can look back to at very specific points who stepped into my life, who basically changed the course of my life. Right. And one of those, this is actually really embarrassing to Nicki Minaj. No, no. um, I wish. (laughs) But when I was in the seventh grade, okay, back up. When I was in the fourth grade. When I was in the womb. I had just come back from Africa and I was the weird kid who had come from Africa. I was the short, blonde That's right. you grew, you, you were, Your My childhood pay, was yeah, in Africa. I, yeah. Well, I lived like six to 10 in Kenya. Gotcha. And so I come back and I'm blonde haired, blue eyed, short, just like kind of the anomaly, weird, didn't really fit in. And, typical African. Yes, <laughs> typical African child. And I come back and this teacher, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Ellenswig, pulled me up in front of the class and said, JJ is the perfect Aryan. And he stood me in front of the class and just started describing what it meant to be an Aryan and that Nazis loved Aryans. (laughs) And so in that moment, all of my classmates are looking up at me. Where is this story going? Well, wait for it. (laughs) And so all of a sudden I'm like, Nazis are amazing. They would love me and they would would take me into their fold. (laughs) And for the next few years, nobody told me anything else about Nazis other than that they would love blonde-haired, blue-eyed children. Did you go around talking about how- No, because I did once I would <laughs> I drew a swastika 
Swastika once. This is oh, this is all true. I drew a swastika once and people like freaked out. And so I was like, oh, there's something here, but nobody ever told me anything else till I was in the seventh grade <laughs> and a teacher, a mentor, if you will. <laughs> wait, wait, is this Ellen's work? No, uh, this is now this is now Mr. Oh. I know, but what happened to him? I don't is know. he in prison? Uh, actually, yes, but for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> so, Not surprising. So I'm in seventh grade and I start saying something to my teacher, Mr. Oden, about Nazis. And he goes, do you know anything about Nazis? And I was like, yeah, they would love like me. Yeah, they love blonde They'd hair. They love blonde haired, blue eyed children. Yeah. And we were studying, I believe, Lewis and Clark at the time because I was in <laughs> Oregon. And my teacher said, I'm actually going to take you out of studying Lewis and Clark and I want you to write a 10 page paper on Auschwitz. And he actually stopped me from studying Lewis and Clark and had me write a 10-page paper on Auschwitz. And that's when I learned what the Nazis were actually <laughs> like. And I remember being upstairs in my room reading about Auschwitz and calling my mom and going, Mom, did you know this happened? Like, I was so freaked out by it. And we had to spend, like, a long time. She had to, like, kind of calm me down about it because I had been so under this illusion that the Nazis, <laughs> would, the, <laughs> that the Nazis were good people. story. And both of those people. Stories, you need a mentor. <laughs> the, I, I mean, truthfully, the seventh grade teacher could have said, this guy's just a punk. He's just a weird. And instead, he noticed that there was something in me that was wrong. There was something actually that was going to be a detriment to me in life. And he stopped me, pulled me out of this, and then offered That's, this opportunity you know, as, to become something different. Yeah. I literally, it changed the course of my life. And how great that he didn't say, this is a bad kid. Yeah. This is a future white supremacist kid, yeah. and we need to. Because I had none of that in me. Like right, I had just, none of that in you me. You were at just all. literally dumb. I was so stupid. <laughs> I was so stupid. And he saw something in me, and literally said, "Okay." He made an exception, which I think a lot of times you have to do in mentor relationships, and say, "This this is going to be different. This relationship is going to be different." And I'm pulling him out of this, and I'm putting him in this, and it changed the course of my life. Good guy, bad Odin. Good guy, Ellen's wig. Bad Not guy. So much. You know, it reminds him in jail today. It, for other reasons, I don't know if he's that, actually in jail, but let's hope he got it, fired. <laughs> it reminds me of a fact that's true in screenwriting. If you read Christopher Booker's book, my favorite book of all time, The Seven Basic Plots, he talks about this story structure that exists, and it's a thing you can do if you're writing a story. You have a character called the false guide. Uh -huh. So we all know if you know story brand structure, you know that there's a character called the guide that's in a story, and every brand should epitomize the guide. Not yeah. the hero, the guide. Yeah. But there's this other character called the false guide. Yeah. And the false guide shows up and leads everybody to believe that he can help them save the day, but he's flawed and he's actually quite selfish and yeah. narcissistic. But everybody falls for it and then they pay for it and then the real guide shows up. Yep. It, it's interesting because that's the story that you just told. Yep. Yeah. Is this like false guide leading you astray and there's... It's fascinating to me. Anyway, the other part of the, the idea that there is a guide in story structure yeah. is the reason there's a guide in story structure is because human beings are relational and they need people who know more than they do yeah. about any topic in order to succeed. And I would love to give you the keys to success, and I would still say, wake up early, get more done in the first three hours than you get done the rest of the day. Don't eat breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I've got all of my tips down. <laughs> Fill out the StoryBrand productivity <laughs> schedule. You can get it at storybrand.com slash productivity. It's completely free. Those are the keys to success. But the reality is, I bet you that's 50% of it. I bet the other 50% is who you know who you're hanging out with, who's pouring into your life. Yeah. The reason we're bringing all this up is because today's interview is with Ken Blanchard, who wrote One Minute Manager. Yep. 
and Claire Diaz-Ortiz, who was a former executive at Twitter and now does all sorts of awesome things. They have written a book called One Minute Mentoring, and it's about the dynamic of these relationships. And what's fascinating about this interview, well, first of all, they're both former guests, and we didn't even realize they knew each other. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they're bringing a book out. We're like, well, come back on the podcast. And Ken, who's one of my favorite people on the planet, I'm just honored to spend any amount of time with him. But it's actually a two-way mentoring relationship. It isn't Ken in his 70s mentoring Claire in her 30s. It's them mentoring each other, which is really different, and it's really appealing to me. And when I think about, like, my relationship with Bob Goff, I mean, I learned more from Bob than he'll ever learn from me. But when he wanted to write a book, Bob was humble enough to say, hey, teach me this thing you do. Yeah. You know, he wrote a book, and it ended up on the New York Times bestsellers list. And it's a beautiful book, a book called Love Does. And that deepened our bond, I think. And he even came out when he started doing the Big Dream Framework. He came to Nashville and spent a day with me and Tim to sort of teach he and his team how to build a business like this. But because he was able to sit and go, now let me learn something from you yeah. and not be fake about it. Yeah. It's created this, not an equal relationship because Bob is better than me, but you know, <laughs> Bob's you know, better I mean, than he, most. But, so, yeah, yeah, he is. But it created a really beautiful kind of chemistry there. Yeah. And uh, those are the sorts of things. I think some of us get into mentoring because we want to be the hero and we want to be authoritative yeah. and we're insecure. And so we need somebody to boss around. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. It doesn't work. No, no. And so these guys have written a book and have some incredible thoughts on how to do this. Some of them I love so much, JJ, and you listen to the interview. Basically, you kind of weed out who yeah. you don't want to be mentored by. Yeah. Another one is you define the relationship. Yeah. You have a define the relationship conversation. Set expectations. Yeah, you set expectations, but you actually set up a mission. Yep. This relationship exists to accomplish this. Yeah. Wait, I love that. <laughs> yes, you do. I just love that. I think every relationship <laughs> should have that. We exist to come as a... Yeah, I hate it. People are like, you want to get coffee? Why? Why do we want to get coffee? Define why we're getting coffee. Yes. What is the objective? That's why you go to bed at seven. I go to bed at like midnight, <laughs> but I spend that time with people in conversations and in that. It's different than yours. You get up and are productive in the morning. My productivity comes in the evening when I'm in relationship. Because you have a very relational yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning that. JJ, you would be proud of me. <laughs> Yeah. You know, being married to Betsy, Betsy loves people. Yes. She loves going to the party. <laughs> yes. She loves having a It terrifies me. <laughs> I, I can get through the weather's crazy, right? Uh-huh. Uh, your job's going well, right? And then after that, I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there going, I just went out of this because I don't know what to say. It's a horrible feeling. JJ, I bought four books. They're literally downstairs uh-huh. on the coffee table. Four books on how to talk to people. <laughs> I'm 45 years old. Uh, clearly, I've been mentoring you. Subconsciously, I'm mentoring you in this situation I'm learning. As well. I'm learning. And I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm actually loving it. Yeah. But anyway, I'm learning to be a human. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing. You're an amazing human. <laughs> this book is about just that. Being a great human and being in relationships with people for the benefit of not just yourself, of the world around you. Yeah. And couldn't be written by two people who I just adore any more than Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Met Ken last year when we went to do a StoryBrand private workshop at Ken Blanchard Company and actually got to know Claire a long time ago, but we actually went to Israel together. Yeah, I met her at a private workshop. That's right. You met Claire at a private workshop. Side note, I got to know Claire at the Vatican. Did you know Claire hooked up the Pope (laughs) on Twitter? Yeah, she mentored the Pope on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Got him to send his first tweet. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, terrific people. I'm not going to wait any longer. This is my interview with Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortiz about their book, One Minute Mentoring. 
Ken Blanchard, Claire Diaz-Ortiz, welcome. Well, good to be with you, Don. I told the story last time I interviewed you. You know, you've been mentoring me, if you will, through your books for 25, maybe even 30 years now. I hate to say it, but a long time. And uh, it's always an honor. And every time I interact with you, I'm always amazed at how humble and approachable you are. And even though you've written all these books and changed this many lives. Tell me, this book, One Minute Mentoring, when did this whole heart for mentoring begin to develop in you? Well, it really came uh, when Claire and her agent came to us, you know, and basically said that uh, mentors in the past have always been older and uh, young folks to, could use the wisdom from older people. And But us older folks could use some mentoring from younger folks, particularly around technology. And And that was really interesting. And the whole thing that came to us right away is that whether you're a mentor or a mentee, it's a win-win. Both parties really learn. And then I started to think through my life, you know, and, you know, who mentored me. And I, my first person to think about was my dad who retired as an admiral in the Navy, but hmm. he started me thinking about leadership when I, when the president of the seventh grade in Urshel, New York, and, and I was all pumped up and I came home and I told my dad, he wasn't an admiral at that time, but uh, that I had just been elected president of seventh grade. And he said, congratulations, Ken, but now that you're president, don't ever use your position because great leaders are great because uh, people trust and respect them, not because they have power. And Mm. and that was the beginning of my leadership lessons. And my mom was also amazing. She always would say to me, Ken, don't you act like you're better than anybody else, but don't let them act like they're better than you because God didn't make any junk. You know, everybody's (laughs) got beautiful. She says, there's a pearl of goodness in everybody. Dig for it. And so yeah. Margie and other people have really been amazed at some of the strange friends that I have. <laughs> that most people wonder why, but I've just found that pearl in them. And so, yeah. And Claire, I, you know, we've known each other for a little while. You, you've got no short resume here. I mean, you're unbelievably accomplished. And yet you must have felt like, I, I mean, I can't imagine how you must feel saying, I want to write a book with Ken Blanchard to be mentored by him, but also mentor him, you know, and tell me what that felt like and how you got this idea. So, I mean, I I think what's so funny is, you know, I've always been a huge fan of mentoring. You know, I had this really powerful experience in my own life of basically mentoring this Kenyan teen um, and to bring him to the U.S. And then I've also in my own career had these great mentors. But I think that I'd never really understood the sort of you know, two-way street situation of mentoring at its best until Ken and I started working on this project together. I mean, truly, Don, like when we started writing, I had this vision that, you know, okay, I would would meet with Ken and, you know, in San Diego or New York or on Skype and he would say great things and then I would write them down in my moleskin and then go home at night and, you know, like review them and and highlight them, you know, try to remember. I mean, I'm imagining that's how it would go. Right. And it was so interesting because Ken basically made it clear really on that, hey, you know, that's that's not the case. You know, he basically said, hey, I've got a few years on you, but you've got a lot to teach me too. And I think that was a mm. really kind of amazing, very empowering experience for me. And um, it, it's completely transformed what I think of, of really positive, powerful mentoring. Well, I mean, it, it's also counterintuitive because you're describing a kind of relationship that doesn't exist in very many places. I mean, especially when there's an age gap, you would normally think of one person who's sort of, you know, helping the other person accomplish something or become something. And it's a one-way street. I mean, that's the way it's traditionally been thought of or defined. Had you guys seen this somewhere else? You know, what models did you have going into this relationship? 
I think, Don, we started to think about the mentoring relationships that we had been in. I mean, people had mentored us and realized that we had also taught them some things too, you know, and hadn't, I think it's true. We both kind of went, aha, this is really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is a learning from, from both, you know, and I remember when I, uh, Got a chance to write a book with Norman Vincent Peale. He was 86 and I was 42. Wow. And I thought, you know, like Claire, I'm just going to learn from from Norman. And he said, oh, I want to hear what you have to say, you know. And <laughs> so I taught him some stuff about leadership that I have been doing. And and he just taught me just about just being positive in, in life and, and inclusive and all that kind of thing. I just, my favorite one was him is I was – asking him about his faith, you know, and about, you know, who was going to go to hell and who wasn't and all that. And he said, I believe in a loving God. He said, I bet he handles that in a loving way. He said, I'm in sales, not management. And uh, <laughs> that's impacted my whole attitude towards towards a lot of stuff. I'm in sales. I, my job is not to judge people. It's to love them and to help them. You know, Don, I think with what Ken just said, though, you can hear kind of the kernel of, of why our mentoring relationship has worked. And that's simply right, because yeah. Ken has this extreme, extreme humility. And I think yeah, that was something yeah. that I have completely learned about, you know, if mentoring works in a in a sort of two-way street model of, you know, the mentor and the mentee are both learning from each other, it's only going to work really if if both people come to it basically humble and can yeah. um, has that in a way that, uh, you know, not all leaders do. And so I think that's what really makes it work. Well, as people listen to this podcast, they're going to want a relationship like this. They're going to want to get into a mutually mentoring relationship. Kim, what would you say they need to think about before even getting started? I mean, you know, somebody's listening to this. They're 35 years old. They'd love to have somebody older step into their lives. There's somebody listening to this. They're 60. They'd love to mentor somebody younger or get into a relationship where they can learn. What's the first thing that they should be thinking about? Well, one of the things we include in a book, a friend of mine, Jim Ballard told me years ago, if you're going to work with somebody, there's two aspects. One is essence and the other is form. Essence is heart to heart and values to values and form is what are you going to do? And he said, be careful to jump to form right away before you have essence because it'll bite you, you know. And and I had this idea of writing a book on the power of positive management. And I went to a real leader in the whole positive thinking field and our meeting was all about form. We wanted to know who was going to do what, how we were going to divide the royalties, and this and that. And so I decided to pass on it. And our publisher called and said, I wow. heard you were disappointed in your meeting. Have you ever thought about writing a book with Norman Vincent Peale? And I first said, is he still alive? You know what I mean? Because I hadn't thought, I hadn't thought about him because my parents went to his church before I was born. And and I said, now is he alive? He's amazing. So I Went to New York and spent a three-hour lunch with Norman and his wife, Ruth, who she had a pad called Lady Boss. She's really an amazing woman who just died at 101 about a year ago. Wow. And in a three-hour lunch, there wasn't one form question. You know, We never even got to decide what we were going to write about. You know, And it was, wow, tell us about you, Ken, and we'll tell you about us. And it was just amazing. And at the end, Norman turned to Ruth and asked the ultimate essence question. He said, Ruth, you think we should write this book or write a book with this young man? You know, and, and she said, absolutely, under one condition. He said, what's that? From now on, he will bring his wife, Margie, uh, uh-huh. and well, four of us will work on this together because she, had, they had heard good things about Margie, you know, and 
Yeah. And uh, so the first time we got together, we started thinking, well, this is fun. We're together. What do we want to write about? <laughs> wow. I think that describes what Claire and I were talking about earlier, that you're establishing essence, you're establishing chemistry, you're establishing uncoded connections that happen between yes. people. Then you can get to form, and, and Claire did a great job of developing this little mentor acronym yeah. and all. And yeah. Why don't you start telling them a little bit about that, Claire? Sure. So kind of one of the things we wanted to figure out in the process of, you know, telling people how to go about developing a great, you know, mentoring relationship was how we can do it in a way that sort of makes it more step by step and identifying some of the key sort of elements of it. And so basically we came up with this mentor model, we call it, where mentor is an acronym and to kind of go through what it means, you know, M is about mission. So the first step is creating a, a clear mission statement for the mentoring relationship. And I, I think some people think that sounds sort of scary or formal, but really what it yeah. is is just sort of formalizing your intention. You know, why are you together as a mentor and mentee and what do you hope to get out of it? So that's M. With, with that M, Claire, do you find, I don't want to just stumble past that. I remember before Betsy and I got married about four years ago, there was an, a point in our in our engagement, you know, we we were probably a couple months away from getting married, where I, I just took a a business plan. It was a one page business plan that I was filling out at this business conference, and actually, just curiously filled it out for our marriage. And, mm-hmm. and you had to have this mission statement, right? And I put that we would have a restorative marriage, meaning that we would restore each other, and anybody who walks into our home would get restored. That that would be our focus. And we found that really for the first couple years of our marriage, and to some degree today, even though we probably need to fill out one of those forms again, I can't believe how much it added to our relationship. You know, this is a business form. This, it feels very technical or logistic, right? But it added so much because, I mean, even down to the furniture we would buy and how we would spend money, hmm. we would ask ourselves, will this participate in the restoring of people and, and uh, giving them their energy back and their centering back? Do you have people push back on that too? I mean, you know, because we've established the essence. Does having a mission interfere with the chemistry that happens between people? Because it didn't. It didn't with me and Betsy. Well, it really, you know, whether you resist it or not has to do with kind of your personality, right? But I think ultimately, as long as you find a way within your personality to create some type of intention for the mentoring relationship, I I think you're going to see that you're going to get so much more out of it than you would if you just sort of blindly kind of walk into something and and see what happens. I mean, and I think one of the, you know, I, I mentioned Martha Lawrence, she's the Ken's executive editor, and, you know, she worked you know, extremely closely with us. It was the three of us writing this book together. And one of the kind of lessons that we learned in the writing really came from her own mentoring relationship. She um, has a little sister through the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program. And one of the things that they had sort of developed early on is, you know, this is a girl who was, you know, very at risk living in, you know, a poor area in, in San Diego, you know, lots of sort of issues in her family and home life. And Martha sort of came in to be her mentor and to try to, you know, essentially first goal is, okay, we're going to get you out of high school, right? So that's kind of their mission together was how can we keep you in school? And then Hmm. they soon found that, you know, basically by having clarified that, it let 
a lot of other things fall into place. So, you know, the way you're saying how you guys, by creating this intention that you're going to have a restorative marriage, it helped direct you to the type of furniture you would buy, right? So as Martha says, you know, once they had this mission, then they were able to say, okay, so what do we need to do to get you to graduate from high school? You know, you've got four years left. Okay, we need to make sure that you come over to my house once a week to study. You know, things like that were able to sort of fall into place in a clearer way than they would have if it had just sort of been like, hey, I'm your mentor, you know, let's let's connect, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Don, I always have said that all good performance starts with clear goals, you know, and if you don't have a sense of what your intention is, how are you going to evaluate how well you've done or whether you want to continue to uh, keep the relationship going? So it's a really key right. part. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortiz in just a moment. Well, we're back with another segment of Marketing Mythbusters, and Kula Callahan is joining us to bust another marketing myth. Kula, what is today's myth? Today's myth is this. People buy your product because they want your product. That's just confusing. Of course they're buying the product because they want the product. Why else would they want the product? What do they want? Well, we've talked about a lot on the podcast before, Adam. People Uh buy products because they resolve their problems. So what people are actually looking for when they go to buy a product is the benefit that that product provides them. So they actually are shopping Uh for what the value of that product delivers. I see the light. I'm starting to understand. I see it coming into your eyes. (laughs) I think you might have a point here because it is true. People aren't really buying your product. They're buying the result that your product actually delivers. You tell me if I'm on the right track. The other day, I picked up this box of sea salt in our kitchen Really kind of pretty packaging. Betsy bought it somewhere. It seems like hipster sea salt. (laughs) But on the side of the sea salt, it says, the first step to great tasting food. Amazing. And I thought, that's it. They're actually not selling sea salt. They're selling great tasting food. Amazing example. Yeah. And they were smart enough to know it. So you've worked with a bunch of clients helping them get to the point. I mean, yep. that's what I always say to a client. Hey, get to the point. Right. You're not selling financial services. You're selling peace of mind. Absolutely. Right? And so we've got to get the result right. of our product into our marketing speak. The other day I was on a coaching call with a woman who transcribes speeches for speakers into blog posts, ebooks, those sorts of things. Hugely valuable. Absolutely. But on her website, she was getting into the weeds with what her process is, how she goes into delivering each service. Absolutely. And what her target audience is looking for is simply immediately usable content that they can deliver to their audience to expand their reach and make more money on their message. Yeah. So what she's really selling are faster blogs, ebook ideas, curriculum ideas, so that when somebody goes and gives a speech, they get an email two days later that has that speech transcribed and they can turn it into all sorts of other things, repurposed content. And she would be wise to know that she's really not selling a transcription. Right. She's selling repurposed content made easy. Absolutely. So here's the exercise, I think, is to sit down and say, what do you sell? What are people using it for? What problem are they solving with your product? 
how does their life become better because they've solved that problem? And there you go. Absolutely. That's what you're selling. That's what you're selling. And that's what people are looking for. One thing I always say to our customers is, what is the promised land that you're leading your customers you to? Go. So as it relates to what you offer, where are you taking your clients? Where is that shiny building off in the distance that you're leading them to? And mm. that's actually what they're looking for when they come to your website or they read your emails. I like it. Well, that's great practical advice. If you want more practical advice, go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. That's 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I've got three five-minute videos that will give you practical tips you can use to clarify your message and create better marketing material. It will result in higher revenue if you take my advice. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. It's all free. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Kula, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Okay, well, once we have our mission, we've defined our mission, we move on to E, Claire, we move on to engagement. And, and what do you mean by that? And this is just making a commitment to regular meetings. So, you know, as I as I mentioned, Martha and her mentee decided, hey, you know, you're going to come over to my house once a week and we're going to get your homework you know, a lot of your homework done. And so it's the same in any sort of mentoring relationship, making a commitment to meeting regularly, whether it's, you know, Skype or in person or whatever it may be. And then also thinking about, of course, the form, the way you're going to be, you know, meeting. I, I like to joke that, or maybe it's Ken who likes to joke that he is like the most telephone savvy person on the planet. He just loves calling people <laughs> on the phone, right? Yeah. And I think that's, you're kind of an off the charts extrovert, right, Ken? That's right. That's what Margie says for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that relates to that. But, you know, some people that may not be their preferred form of communication. Maybe they want to meet in person or maybe they want to exchange a bunch of emails. But basically figuring out how you're going to engage is really a I love that you write it in the book. Determine the type of engagement that works best for your personalities. Is your mentor or mentee an extrovert or an introvert? Are they best with set times, scheduled far in advance? Because I'm such an introvert and uh, I don't exist within time that it comforts me to read that because it goes, oh, I could do this. We just have to schedule it really differently. But right. That's right. A really interesting. And that way the two people don't annoy each other, right? You know, they're not getting on each other's <laughs> nerves because the right. extrovert's calling the introvert and the introvert never calls back. <laughs> 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 so the extrovert keeps on calling until it gets through. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay, so networking is the in. And and what do you mean by this? You help each other meet other people and expand each other's horizons? That's what I gathered from it. Yeah, it's this idea that basically cultivating productive relationships is really essential for the partnership and, you know, understanding that you both have kind of a network to offer the other essentially. And I think probably honestly a lot of people reading this book are pretty familiar with this concept because I actually think a lot of mentees, when they think about mentors in this day and age, they often think about the people that mentor is connected with. And I think that that can be kind of a huge sort of downfall of its own. But this idea of your mentor, your mentee is going to introduce you to a network and expand your network through their own is really essential, but it also completely depends on the next step, which is this idea of trust. Because, you know, we, in one of the parts of the book, we basically tell 
the book is, you know, a story about a mentor and a mentee. And at one moment in the book, we basically share what I think is probably a pretty common thing of basically a mentee kind of misusing the network of the mentor, right? Getting mm, sort of too yeah. over eager. And we can all kind of imagine that happening, right? If you yeah. find some mentor who has this great network and they tell you about someone they're connected with that you want to connect with, you could maybe misuse that by sending the wrong email or making the wrong phone call. And we basically tell a story of that in the book. And it really just boils down to this idea that you know, trust in your mentoring partnership is is really the only only thing that's <laughs> that's going to make it work in the end. We've developed a whole program in that area because it's so important. Uh, I wrote a book with Cindy Olmsted, who'd been studying trust for many years, and found out there were so many different definitions. And we developed what we call the A B C D uh, aspect of trust. A is ability. First, you trust that the person's got the skills necessary yeah. to do what you're talking about. B is believable, you know, that if they say something, you can count on it. Then connectedness, which is that whole essence thing. You feel excited when you see them. And then finally, D is dependable, where do they show up or do they keep on canceling stuff? And so uh, without a trusting relationship, a mentor-mentee relationship will fall apart. Yeah, no kidding. It just seems like the foundation for everything. All right. Oh, opportunity. We create opportunities in these relationships for each other. How do we do that? Well, I think one of the the keys here is, again, it may be obvious that a mentor creates opportunities for a mentee or expands the opportunities that a mentee might normally have access to. But I think what you've got to remember here is, again, this idea that, you know, the mentee is also giving back to the mentor and the mentee needs to feel empowered to, you know, think about how he or she can also be helping their mentor. And um, there's this interesting moment in the book when we were writing the book. So, you know, the book is a story, as I said. And at one point, you know, in the book, we had an early reader in the book writing process, I should say, we had an early reader say, hey, you know, I'm not so sure it's believable that the mentor is, you know, opening up so much to the mentee and is basically seeking so much advice from the mentee and is, you know, looking to to kind of expand their own opportunities through those of the mentee. You know, I, I don't think this is realistic. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had this really interesting discussion about how, no, we, we think it is realistic and we think it sort of is is part of the process. And yeah. so I think that's something I always think of when I when I think of sort of why mentoring works at its best. Well, and then review and renewal. You know, in a relationship, I, f- I feel like maybe even Betsy and I need to sit down and review and renewal on our, our idea of creating a space in a relationship that is restorative for people. What formal actions do you take to review and renew in a relationship? So I think the big one is kind of deciding, hey, are we going to, you know, renew? Are we going to keep going with this? Or is it time to back burner? You know, I was giving an interview with someone about the book and they said to me, you know, I've had this mentee for a couple years now. And I guess I felt in the first year I was really being able to speak into his life and we we're really getting somewhere. But now I kind of feel like we're not really doing as much. You know, should I be breaking up with my mentee? Right. And I was saying to this person who was interviewing me, I was like, no, no, you know, don't break up with the mentee, just back burner it. And I think that's kind of really key here. You know, mentoring relationships are going to go through ebbs and flows. There's going to be seasons where you're really engaged and then seasons where you you don't necessarily need to call upon the other person. And I think that's just part of the process. And it's fine to have had many mentors or mentees in your life that you're maybe not, you know, currently engaging with 
um, to a great extent, but they are there should you should you want to connect again. Oh, well, I mean, this is a terrific model. Really, when I think back, you know, I started an organization a long time ago called The Mentoring Project that I passed on to a guy named Dr. John Sowers, and it was huge for me. You know, I wrote a, even wrote a book about it. But I'm, I'm even years later, 10 years after that, I'm remembering, you know, why I got where I got. Books have been great for me. Classes have been great for me. But nothing can replace the actual people who stepped into my life. And yet, I, I wish I would have had this... 25 years ago because it's it's a formal process you can go through to add to your life one of the most rich components you can ever have. And if, I mean, you look at people who succeed and people who, you know, I hate to say don't succeed, but just, just never really launch, if you will. A lot mm-hmm. of times the difference is just a relationship. It's just one person or two people who's in that person's life. People really start to buzz, uh, Don, when we say to them, now, why don't you reflect in your own life? You know, be honest. Who has mentored you? Because we don't know any successful person who can't name one or two people yeah. who were really powerful. And some people ask us, why would you call it one-minute mentoring? Well, because, you know, sometimes the biggest, best learnings just happen in a casual conversation or mm. telephone call or over lunch, you know, and you don't and you have to be a long-term relationship. But you can really remember, I remember the first time I met Truett Cathy, the the founder of Chick-fil-A, he said, Ken, who do you think needs encouragement? And I said, I bet you're going to tell me, Drew. And he said, every human being who's breathing. And that really was powerful for, yeah. for me because it reinforced my belief. If somebody took everything away I've taught for the last 45 years, what would I hold on to? It probably be the second secret of the one-minute manager about yeah. uh, catching people doing things right and accenting the positive. But uh, mm. We didn't want people thinking they had to have a big, long, formal relationship to learn from somebody. Well, it's nice to have just a process and, and permission, if you will, for beginning a mentoring relationship. We have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are heads of organizations, and you guys actually have a section in your book on how to create a mentoring program inside of your organization. Do you mind sharing us the steps that somebody can go through to uh, formalize this process inside of their company? So the first step in kind of figuring out, do you want to find a mentor or find a mentee within your organization is to go to human resources and first make sure it doesn't already exist. Because this has been (laughs) really funny, you know, in the book writing process, talking to a lot of people who work within organizations who've kind of seen how mentoring works within a, you know, within a large firm. And they say, I didn't even realize that we had a mentoring program. And, you know, as soon as I did, then I was able to sort of get involved. So, so first things first, make sure it doesn't already exist. Now, if it doesn't already exist, what I highly, you know, recommend is basically going in and saying to your HR department, if you have a large enough organization for that, or maybe to the person who heads up culture or whatever, that you would like to help create it, right? And what it takes to help create it is basically just a few mentors and a few mentees that are looking to connect with each other. And, you know, one of the things that I found in researching kind of mentoring programs in organizations is that, you know, one of the big problems that a lot of individuals who who have mentors within an organization talk about is this idea that sometimes in mentoring programs, they basically just sort of match you based off of maybe something you write on a, on a quick form, right? So let's say I'm, I'm getting some new hire mentoring. I've, I've just entered a, a new organization and I write, you know, I'm looking for someone who can help me in sales. And so they just sort of assign me someone. 
And I really, really strongly think that the best sort of in-organization mentoring programs allow mentors and mentees to to kind of connect first. And, you know, I like to, to call right. this like, you know, is it sort of speed dating, speed mentoring, whatever it might be, to see who you think you could most sort of relate with and benefit from. And this obviously gets back to this whole idea of essence versus form. It's interesting, Claire. We have an extensive coaching aspect of our business. Uh, where we have coaches that work with top managers, but we say to them, before we assign you a coach, we want you to talk to three different coaches that we have, and then you decide where the real match is. And so we we give them an opportunity to do it. And, and mm. if those three, none of those three work, we can run you by some more. Mm. But so uh, we've kind of taken that and realized that's important, not just to say, okay, here's your coach. Right. You know? So, you know, once you can find people that can connect with each other and are excited about being a mentor or a mentee to another person, then I really think, you know, you can you can sort of hand those individuals and those partnerships um, kind of the mentor model and tell them to sort of have at it. I mean, all yeah. it is is, you know, coming up with a statement for a mission statement, some type of intention about what you want to get out of this partnership and then figuring out, you know, when you're going to engage and then starting to build, basically build that trust and see how that affects things like your network and the types of opportunities that that are going to come to both of you in the process of the partnership. Well, I can't think of anything that would be more valuable in an organization than having every person have a mentor or every person at least be in a mentoring relationship. That would duplicate so many efforts and deepens. I mean, it's all about people. You know, it's in- interesting, Don. A number of companies have uh, mentors for new hire mentoring, right. which I think is a really good My Grandsons uh, just got a job a while back in real estate operation, and they uh, they said, you know, we'd love for you to have a mentor. And uh, the one that you got a chance to be with right away, they really clicked. Um, but that's a really powerful uh, thing. We also think it's kind of stupid to push people out, you know, when they're 60 or 65 or whatever. Right, yeah. Why not keep them on at least part-time to mentor younger people so that you can oh, have cross-generational mentoring that's you know, different than maybe new hire uh, mentoring. And some companies even have peer-to-peer mentoring. And uh, in the book, uh, the uh, advice our young guy gets is he ought to learn from the younger guy in the sales department who's really doing well. And his ego got in the way initially. I mean, well, he's younger than me. I'm going to learn from him. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of a peer-to-peer kind of thing. And then, of course, with our big brother, big sister thing, it's a adult to adolescent mentoring. Right. So there's a whole variety of, of mentoring. But I think the big picture Claire and I have gotten clear on is that if you stop learning, you might as well lie down and let them throw dirt on you, you know, because you're <laughs> already dead. And that interest, interest in mentoring is really uh, that whole interest in, in uh, continuing to learn. Well, Kim, what are you guys doing at Ken Blanchard? What, what's the Ken Blanchard company doing in this realm? You guys are always leading the way in these kinds of uh, programs. Well, I mentioned we have a new hire mentoring and gotcha. then we have this adolescent, uh, adult adolescent. With oh, you're doing both those things right there at your company. Yeah, at our, at our company, yeah. And, and then uh, you're actually the, the chief spiritual officer of Ken Blanchard. That's a sort of company mentor, isn't it? Do you sort of position yeah, yourself? It, it really is. And you know, Margie and I are both out of, uh, you know, being on the leadership team and all that. We're kind of, we're there to mentor people, you know, and, and, and talk with them. So, uh, you know, we, we still are 
active, but in more of an advisory role than an operational role. And we have a number of our people, we call them founding associates that helped to start the company and they're getting up in age and they're all mentoring younger consulting partners and some of it's informal as well as formal. Well, it's no wonder that the company is so successful when you have those kind of insights and are, are taking action on them. I'm honored to have both of you on the podcast. I, I just realized we've interviewed both of you individually with no idea that you'd ever be connected writing a book. And so what a, <laughs> what a double punch today. The book is called One Minute Mentoring, How to Find and Work with a Mentor and While You'll Benefit from Being One. Our guests today, I'm so grateful, Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Thank you once again for being on the podcast. Well, Don, it's been great to be with you and and Claire. I just uh, enjoyed this so much. All right, JJ, there you go. If that doesn't inspire you to uh, mentor and mentee. I love them. I love both of them so much. They're good for the world. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, Ken is... uh, He's so focused on loving people over making any sort of profit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that company's a $100 million company. Yeah. They train the world's greatest managers. If you have a management problem, you need to look up Ken Blanchard and look at their curriculum because it'll teach you how to be a great manager. But how do you build a company that big when you're just so scattered in your love and affection and attention for people who can't get you anything? Yeah. It's amazing to me. This guy has a heart for the heart of people. Yeah. And Claire Diaz-Ortiz in equal measure. Just a a great book. The book, again, is called One Minute Mentoring. All right, JJ. Yes. Next week. Yeah. The female Jerry Maguire (laughs) is on the show. Yes. Of the new folks that I didn't know who we get to interview, Molly made the single greatest first impression I've ever experience she has so much energy and life in her yeah like i just i love <laughs> i just got to listen to it and i loved just who she was and what she brought to the table she has negotiated a half billion dollars <laughs> worth of sports contracts yes. so she represented john smoltz and a bunch of professional golfers and she is fearless yes and her representation of these uh, athletes she now writes and speaks. She's got a book out called Fearless at Work. We went to Atlanta and interviewed her. We interviewed her twice. Yeah. Uh, the first interview we did was on this book, Fearless at Work, and she just talks about the importance of being able to take risks, yeah. calculated risks. Yep. So she, she gives you a little formula for how to do it, and it's huge. Then we interviewed her again on her negotiation ability, yeah. what she does when she walks into a room and she's asking for $12 million. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. So both interviews are great. We're going to feature the first interview on being fearless at work next week, and then we're going to tag the other interview, which is a little shorter, in a later podcast. So you want to make sure you keep listening to the podcast to find that other interview on negotiation techniques because it's really fantastic. But I want to play a little snippet of this interview about being fearless at work. If your career... You know, let's say you're not the entrepreneur and you're listening to the podcast just because you love me and JJ. <laughs> and you, you've been in a cubicle for a long time. And it's time to move up and do something. This is your interview. Yeah. This is the one. Yeah. Or let's say your company's been running $3 million or $2 million for a few years. And you know you can take it to four, but you're not willing to take the step to do it because it's a risk. This is your interview. Yes. Yep. And uh, I want you to hear just a little bit about Molly Fletcher, one of the most delightful human beings I've ever had the chance to encounter. I want you to hear a little bit of my interview with Molly Fletcher because you've got to listen to the interview, the whole interview, next week. Here's just a snippet of my interview with Molly Fletcher. All of us are going to have things that we're worried about and that we're scared of. 
But the best lean into them and step into those. It's scary to start a business, right? Yeah. yeah. But the mindset of the best athletes I saw was that they told themselves that they were going to win. They told themselves that they were going to have success. They believed it before anything ever. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's about, to your brand, it's about the story they told themselves. Right. Inside. And the role they play inside that story. Totally. And they believed that they would win. They believed that they would have success. You know, a lot of times athletes will say, I don't have enough confidence. Well, you got to tell yourself that you're going to get there and that sometimes thinks confidence comes before execution. I think sometimes you got to tell yourself enough to believe so that you can execute. All right, she's terrific. Love her. Yeah, she's so fun. Love her. She's got a great team there in Atlanta. She's doing a lot of speaking and writing these days. Doesn't do as much representation of athletes anymore because she's sort of transitioning out of that. Yeah. Just a fantastic interview on fearlessness. So be sure to tune in to hear the entire conversation next week. Yeah. All right, JJ, before we sign off, I've got to remind everybody, I've got a book coming out October 10th called Building a Story Brand. People are trying to piece together the the pieces of the story brand framework by listening to a bunch of different podcasts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's an easier way to do it. Just get the book. And the book talks about how to communicate simply, talks about what your website needs to look like, talks about playing the guide and not the hero and all these important paradigm shifts that you and I believe in and we've used to help thousands of companies make a lot of money. You can get all that in the book, Building a Story Brand. The problem is it doesn't come out till October 10th. But the publisher has made 2,000 copies of this book available now. All you have to do, I think we're about 1,400 copies sold. Yeah. So there's only about 600 left. But if you can get in, buy the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. So you're going to get it on October 10th in hardback. But forward that receipt to book at storybrand.com. Forward it to book at storybrand.com. And we will send you in the mail a paperback. It's called an advanced reader's copy. It's normally reserved for like the New York Times and USA Today. But we convinced the publisher to print 2,000 more copies so that you could get one early. Just order the book off Amazon or Barnes & Noble. When they send you the receipt, you know, they email that, that little receipt. Just yeah. hit forward to book at storybrand.com. We will do the rest and you will get a paperback in the mail and then when you get the hardback, you can give the paperback away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you got two books for the price of one. It's a great deal, and we're grateful to Thomas Nelson Publishers for honestly doing that for our fans. Uh, it's a terrific opportunity. Just order the book and then forward your email receipt to book at storybrand.com. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.